I had asked my wife if I could touch her in a private place, to which she replied, yeah, you can touch my ear. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It is great to have you. It is April 4th, <laughs> Easter, for those of you who uh, pay attention to Christian holidays, uh, and I do have a great show for you this week. We're going to start with an apocryphal, apocryphal, I can't, I feel like I'm saying that word wrong, story of Easter. The truth behind Easter, which no one else will tell you, and it's taken from some ancient manuscripts, so you know it's true. Uh, the Infernal Informant, we're going to do a little bit of a doubling up on the same story, but with two different focuses. First part is Biden says he's heartbroken and orders flags of the White House to be flown at half-staff in response to Capitol Police officer death. And the second half of that is what we know about Noah Green, the Indiana man suspected in the U.S. Capitol attack. And then I'm going to close it out. This came in the mail yesterday. I, I didn't order it. So someone ordered it and sent it to me. And thank you very much for doing so. But I had no idea. And it's a, it comes as a very big surprise. This is a very fascinating book. The Devil's Mischief, in which his own story is told in words and pictures by Ed Marcon. That's going to be the creature feature telling of the show. And it's going to be fun. So... How you doing? Before we start this show, this weather this weekend has been just spectacular. It was like 80 degrees yesterday. And so I went out and I did a whole bunch of yard work that my back is now sore um, because of all the damn yard work I was doing. But just spending time out in the sun, just soaking up those rays, uh, working hard, fuck, it, it, it makes you feel alive. It was so nice. It was so incredibly nice. And then to cap it all off, I had a, like, went over, we, we were smoking a ham, to which I over-smoked it, and it became a little bit dry, which sucks. But it was, you know, it's a country ham. Uh, my, I guess it's cousin, runs a butcher shop, and we had purchased half of a pig from him, and so we decided to, you know, the butt portion of the ham to just smoke it and take it over to a friend's house and then you have some drinks and have some smoke ham. Uh, it was still good. It was still okay. It's just, you know, it was, it was a little too dry for my particular likings. But sitting on a back patio, sipping on some of uh, the devil's elixir and just enjoying good company with a nice breeze in the sun, uh, cascading through leaves, it was, it was just brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Such a wonderful day. And I am so glad that, um, I'm able to, I'm able to get out and do stuff like that. There are people here, you know, still in lockdown that aren't supposed to be getting together like that still, which is kind of insane when you think about it, but 
Anyway, I hope you guys have an opportunity this weekend to enjoy the weather if you have good weather. <laughs> and if you don't, bad weather's not always bad anyway. Go out in the rain, jump in some puddles, be a kid again. It's fun. <laughs> Gary, how you doing? Thanks for joining live, William. What's up, man? Uh, how you doing, Jason? Thanks for joining live. Uh, dog, what up? Hi, Lexi. Nice to see you as well. Zachary, happy alien egg-laying rabbit date to you. <laughs> or I like this one, uh, sex and chocolate day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's happening. Jeff, great to see you, man. Thanks for joining. Um, let's see. Christian, how you doing? It's been a while since I've seen you. Good to see you. Marcy, what up? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into some story. So let's uh, have fun. This is probably going to be a shorter episode, just as a bit of a heads up. I want to get outside and, uh, you know, play in the sun and the grass and everything. So I'm going to, I'm not going to draw things out like I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, put it out there and we'll have some fun. Tony, Sean, thanks for joining live, guys. All right, here we go. Oh, dog, you're so awesome. Thank you so much. That is fantastic. Um, I was going to talk about Bubba Hotep in today's Creature Feature, um, but this inspired me to do something completely different. So you're the best. Thank you. The Apocryphal Story of Easter. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Apocrypha, but it's a collection of lost and ancient writings that uh, it's sort of the discarded ends of the Old Testament. So uh, in 325 AD, uh, Emperor Constantine demanded that the Christian religion be unified from different cults into one. And um, so he had a council of Nicaea and brought together all of the different um, rabbis and priests of the uh, uh, burgeoning Judeo-Christian faith and told them, you guys need to come up with a Bible so that we can have one unified religion. And the first council failed. They convened a second council. Emperor Constantine ended up paying them a ton of money. And to our surprise, after being paid, they decided to come up with an Old Testament that everyone was happy with. Well, all of the writings that were sort of left on the cutting room floor, all the stuff that didn't make it into the Bible that they thought was a little too out there, a little too crazy for public consumption in 325 AD, uh, they sort of left that and it was later collected together in a sort of nomenclature of apocryphal texts. I happen to have a source in ancient Greece who had uh, sort of through time sent this accurate retelling, most accurate retelling of Easter um, from the cutting room floor of that council. And what I found so interesting about it was that not only was it obviously true, but that it wasn't included in the Old Testament. And it totally should have, because it would have been a great beginning to the New Testament. So, let's do this. 
again, this is taken from apocrypha texts to ancient, uh, to be spoken of in, in, uh, in more detail in and of themselves. On Good Friday, there was a guy named Jesus Christ. I think they pronounced it Jesus. Uh, the, he was a rebellious rioter, router of churches, um, much like the, the current Capitol rioters who assaulted the, the uh, U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Jesus did that many years before to different churches. Uh, he would go in and, you know, just tear the entire place apart. He was a criminal. Uh, <clears throat> he traveled with a bunch of bandits and one whore, which is a little weird that there was only one and like 13 dudes, but, you know, 12 plus Jesus. But anyway, um, they were ne'er-do-wells amongst the citizenry <laughs> of uh, uh, Jerusalem and uh, the Middle Eastern areas that they sort of had as stomping grounds that their gang traveled through. Um, eventually he was captured because you don't escape the grasp of Roman law and he was crucified, which means he was literally hung up on a tree to die. Well, what they didn't understand was that his cult followers, these ne'er-do-wells, were fucking vampires. They literally tried to catch his blood in a cup in order to drink it, to become vampires themselves, or just to satiate or consume their savior or their gang leader, as most of the people saw it. Which was a little bit strange. You got a bunch of cultists not helping him off the cross, but instead trying to capture his blood to drink it. I mean, I, a little too cannibalistic for my taste. Um, his body was ultimately taken down because you can't leave a rotting corpse up on display for too long before it becomes uh, <laughs> unsightly. And uh, it was entombed. And I think they entombed it in this way, which was uncommon for the day, because they suspected that his cult followers were trying to drink his blood in order to become a vampire, that he himself was, in fact, a vampire. And so they put this massive stone and put guards out in front of it so that his cult followers couldn't break in and steal his corpse and consume it the traditional way with knife and fork and a little napkin. Um... What happened next was unexpected. On Easter, in the middle of the night, a fucking were-rabbit, yeah, a were-rabbit, comes up upon the tomb, moves the entire stone doorway, steals the corpse, puts it in his little wicker basket, and pranced to his were-rabbit house, like little hive thing, little uh, rabbit hole. And you think that's the weirdest part of the story, but it gets weirder. He takes one of those goop eggs that they sell online. Uh, it's a, a were-rabbit Easter egg. He had it decorated with um, Necronomicon runes and such on the outside. And he actually inserts it into Jesus's anus. The power of the ancient were-rabbit egg actually brought... Jesus's corpse from death to undeath. Do you believe that? It's insane, but it's in the apocrypha texts. Like it's it's real. 
What they didn't tell you either is that not only did this were rabbit resurrect, bring what was once dead to life, he did it with an assistant. And the more you look into who this were rabbit was when he was human form, it's actually pronounced Victor Frankenstein. So Victor Frankenstein was a were rabbit back in ancient uh, ancient times, who in his were rabbit form resurrected Christ, presumably with Igor, and it makes perfect sense now. Of course he did. He brought him to life. Of course, this apocryphal tale was passed down through millennia, and eventually Mary Shelley wrote the novel Frankenstein based on this story. But yeah, that's where it all comes from. Victor Frankenstein was a were-rabbit that resurrected Christ in order to keep him away from his vampiristic cult followers. And that's just science. Google it. Facts. You can't argue with it. It's just real. All right. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? <laughs> Butt the monitor. <laughs> Alien egg laying rabbit day. Yeah. He stole donkeys. Fucking these people. Let's see. Nothing like the traditional Easter story from Peapock. <laughs> They were the original Manson family. I like that, Jeff. That is very, very true. Uh, a were-rabbit. Well, you can see him actually um, today. Some people actually go and stand in front of the were-rabbit and get pictures taken of them. It's really weird. But it does still happen. Uh, Bauhaus wrote a song about it. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> like Bella Lugosi, a resurrection enema? That's all you need. You didn't know it, but now you do. It's the best version of the story. It's it's truth. It's just reality. People hide butt eggs for kids to find. How do you think they deposit the eggs on the ground? If you're going OG, you gotta do it the original way. Bloop, and then bloop. That's just how it works. I don't know. I didn't write it. All right, let's do Infernal Informant. Oh, I actually had an image I was gonna throw up for that too. Don't search were-rabbit. <laughs> Alright, let me throw up this image and we'll get into it. This was completely off my radar until my friend told me yesterday. Biden says he's heartbroken and orders flags at the White House to be flown at half-staff in response to the Capitol police officer death. This is actually from businessinsider.com. President Joe Biden ordered flags at the White House to be flown at half-staff in response to the death of a Capitol police officer after a car rammed into a barricade outside of the Capitol on Friday afternoon. Earlier Friday, the Capitol went on lockdown after a vehicle rammed into an outside barricade and injured two officers. One of the officers, identified by the Capitol Police as Officer William Evans, later died of his injuries. 
Quote, Jill and I are heartbroken to learn of the violent attack at a security checkpoint on the U.S. Capitol grounds, which killed Officer William Evans of the U.S. Capitol Police and left a fellow officer fighting for his life, Biden said in a statement. We sent our heartfelt condolences to Officer Evans's family and everyone grieving his loss. We know what a difficult time this has been for the Capitol, everyone who works there, and those who protect it. The suspect was shot and killed by one of the officers after exiting the car with a knife in hand and lunging at the officers. Yogananda Pittman, the acting Capitol Police Chief, I was just going to call him Yog, said that at the press conference, the National Guard was deployed to the Capitol shortly after the incident to assist Capitol Police officers who were lining the perimeter of the building. I want to express the nation's gratitude to the Capitol Police, the National Guard, immediate response force, and others who quickly responded to this attack, the President said in a statement. As we mourn the loss of yet another courageous Capitol Police officer, I have ordered that the White House, the White House flags be lowered to half-mast. Biden's move followed House Speaker Nancy Pelosi making a similar order to lower the flags at the Capitol to half-staff. The lockdown in the Capitol was lifted about 3 p.m. local time. Less than three months ago, pro-Trump rioters stormed the Capitol, resulting in the death of five people, including two Capitol Police officers. Okay, weird that you add that end cap to this story, because it insinuates this attack was done by a pro-Trump rioter who wanted to storm the Capitol like the people did in January 6th, right? Like, why else would you put that little footnote on this article and not mention who the actual attacker was and what his agenda was? Kind of strange. It gets stranger. So, the second article. What we know about Noah Green, the Indiana man suspected of the U.S. Capitol attack. This is from IndyStar.com. Several law enforcement sources said Green had connections to Indiana and Virginia. The, West po the Washington Post reported Friday evening that it had interviewed Green's brother, Brandon Green, who said Noah had indeed lived previously in Indianapolis, but then had moved to Africa. More recently, Brandon Green told the Post his brother had moved in with him in his Virginia apartment. The Post also reported that Brendan Green described his brother as suffering from, quote, hallucinations, heart palpitations, headaches, and suicidal thoughts that could have been related to drugs or mental illness. Brendan Green said his brother left Newport News, Virginia, where he was a defensive back on the Christopher Newport University football team and moved to Indianapolis. It's unclear how long Noah Green lived in Indianapolis. IndyStar did locate the address for a Noah Green at an Indianapolis apartment complex. IndyStar spoke to six people in front of the complex, but none of them had heard of Green. IndyStar also found a December 2020 civil court filing for a Noah Green. The filing was a petition to change his legal name from Noah Zame Mohammed, but the case was dismissed when Green did not show up to his video hearing. IndyStar, however, was not confirmed uh, has not confirmed if this was the same Noah Green suspect in Friday's death of the Capitol Police officer. Brandon Green told the Post that he visited his brother in Indianapolis and that his brother's mind didn't seem right, end quote. He said his brother left Indianapolis a couple months ago and moved to Botswana a couple of weeks ago. Noah Green moved back 
in with his brother in Virginia, Brendan Green told the Post. Noel Green was born in Fairleigh, West Virginia, but grew up in Covington, Virginia. A Facebook account for a Noah Green also fueled speculation. On the Facebook page, Green noted that he was a follower of the Nation of Islam and its leader, Louis Farrakhan. The Facebook page also included posts by Green discussing the, quote, end times and the, quote, antichrist. Facebook said in a statement that they pulled Green's accounts after the attack. And they, uh, Facebook spokesperson said, quote, after this horrific event, our thoughts are with the Capitol Police and their loved ones. We have designated the incident uh, under our dangerous individuals and organizations policy, which means we have removed the suspect's account from Facebook and Instagram and are removing any content that praises, supports, or represents the attack or the suspect. We are in contact with law enforcement as they conduct their investigation. So it turns out that this had nothing to do with pro-Trump rioters and instead had just a, is a random terrorist attack by a religious zealot. So I wanted to dive a little bit deeper because I always thought I understood what the nation of Islam believed, but I didn't know anything about it. So if you think that my apocryphal retelling of the Easter story was weird, wait until you hear about this. According to the nation of Islam, God created man as uh, human beings, as uh, all black, right? And there's actually some pretty irrefutable evidence that mankind sprang out of Africa. So that's not a crazy idea that all humans were black at one point. However, according to the Nation of Islam, it was a scientist that created white men. Okay, so that's weird that some random scientist uh, would create white men, and then white men became sort of incensed and crazy and uh, decided to take over the world and subjugated the black man. Okay, well, we actually see part of that in human history as well, uh, the subjugation of different ethnicities. Um, and certainly the black uh, uh, experience caters very well to that part of the story. But it's just a little strange that all human existence was black and then a weird rogue scientist created white men and then white men overcame uh, and uh, took over all the black men. Okay, that's not all. That's not even the weird stuff yet, right? They don't actually believe in an afterlife. There's no like religious, peaceful existence on the other side of life. For them, it's fucking aliens. It's UFOs. So, so the end times for this weird fucking religion is spaceships coming down to Earth and destroying all the white men. <laughs> Presumably white women, too. Um, and, and then leaving. And then... Uh, the black race can rise up and reclaim the planet, presumably. What? <laughs> I almost... It's like... It's, it's like a mix between Scientology and Mormonism, right? It's like Scientology believes in aliens coming down. Mormons believe that you can eventually become your own god and own your own planet. Like, it's this weird sort of mixture of just science fiction and ridiculousness that 
fueled this particular maniac into uh, ramming his car for whatever end time. I don't know, maybe he wanted the UFOs to get here faster. Or he thought that all those leaks about UFO footage coming out of the government as of late in the past, you know, 10 years or so has all been the coming of the aliens to destroy the white man. Fucking <laughs> stupid. So no, it was not pro-Trumpers and not even that weird shaman pro-Trumper. That was nothing compared to the weirdness of the reality of what actually happened. Wow. And this is like a religious movement that is active and alive right now. And we make fun of Mormons and we make fun of Scientologists. Why are we not making fun of fucking Islam? Like that, now this isn't like, you know, the, this is a very specific, um, Louis Farrakhan driven part of the nation of Islam. It is not all of this sort of, uh, Muslim faith, you know, all, uh, Islamic faith. It's just this one little weird cult. And certainly there are isolated, a weird Christian cults. So it's not like this is really out of the ordinary. But it's just weird that this is the real story, which is so much crazier than the story that the media was trying to insinuate, you know, upset white pro-Trumpers assaulting the Capitol. No. No. There's no way this guy was pro-Trump. There's no way the Nation of Islam would be pro-Trump. <laughs> they would want him out of the fucking picture altogether. I don't know. Just... Just crazy, all right? Can we can we look at facts before we start blaming groups of people about things? I mean, I could see how you could jump to a conclusion. But then you look at the guy, and then you do a little research on his background and his religious faith, and then you kind of have to, you know, resolve the two. And when I was told about this yesterday, it was under the guise of, it was almost like a cover-up, like because they they came out pretty hard saying it was a pro-Trump situation, and the reality ended up being very different. But I, I don't know if it's like a, a cover-up or the media is trying to scrub it. Or I actually understand Facebook's reaction to this individual's page, um, because you know it was during the Trump presidency that they really started you know stamp uh, tamping down on um, extreme uh, groups and. Um, posts and ads and so i understand if you you know you're a person who does something crazy like this murders people and then gets murdered you don't want to promote their insanity any more than is going to be naturally promoted by the media covering the story but it wasn't exactly the easiest thing to figure out who this guy was because there are more articles about the actual assault than there are explaining who the guy was who actually committed it which should cause us to ask why. Why do we not need to know about him, but we need to know about the incident? Is it to push alternate agendas? Is it to use it to spin up some other narrative? Possibly. And it certainly seems to be in this particular case. Just weird. Right, what do you guys think? Um... You read something about the Pan-African story not being 100% up to snuff. Oh, really? Mankind can never progress with any kind of racist thought or mindset. Oh, we have so far. 
I mean, it, it's getting diminished, but it's certainly strong and hard. Muhammad approves, yeah. <laughs> You're not saying it was the UFO occupants, but... <laughs> Marcy... Uh, and you're right, not not all the insurrectionists were pro-Trump. I think that's important to everyone. Even though that's not the narrative that's sold, that is the reality of it. Um, some certainly were, but not all of them. And some that were pro-Trump did not, who were there, did not engage with everything. They just sort of walked away. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, we it's easy to sort of hive mind collective blame when it comes to stuff like this but the, the reality is is always much more nuanced all religious philosophies should be able to be made fun of and picked apart yeah for sure uh, and the best part is we're usually the aliens <laughs> nick cannon just got into some hot water with his employer recently for his comments on race and he's a fan of louis farrakhan if i recall correctly i think you're right i, th I think i have heard that somewhere and i here i gotta be honest about this I don't, I don't care. Like whatever weird religious views anyone wants to have, do your thing. I, I don't give a fuck. I have some weird religious views too. I believe I'm my own God. <laughs> you know, I champion the metaphor of Satan in my life. I can see how others may see that as weird and I can accept that perspective. I just happen to love it. And so I have to have perspective on the other side and look, reflecting on other people's religious beliefs, as insane as I may think they are, they are very real for them. And okay, whatever. You want to believe whatever you want? Fine. It's when they start doing stuff like this guy did. When you start killing people or forcing children and, you know, sort of indoctrinating them into your weird religious views. If you start doing stuff like that, well, then now we have a problem. Because ultimately what you're doing is not allowing someone to fall into their own poisonous behavior and beliefs, but you're indoctrinating them. And that takes away their free will, that scars them for their entire lives, and that perpetuates a system of violence and self-hatred that we see prevalent in all of our current society. So let's just keep your craziness to yourselves, people. <laughs> Believe whatever you want. I want to believe in aliens, <laughs> but I don't think they're going to come down, kill all the white men so the black men can own the planet. That's a little weird. All right. Uh, terrorist laws stronger. Uh, why are they pushing this particular narrative to make anti-terrorist laws stronger? Anti-terrorist laws. I'm not, I'm not familiar with what you're referring to. Uh, to paraphrase George Carlin, if firefighters fight fire, then what do freedom fighters fight? <laughs> nice uh george carlin man he was he was something else racism has america torn right now always it's always it, that is if there is one legacy of american um the american experience we like to believe it's democracy or it's individual freedom or whatever but the real legacy of america is the subjugation of women and black men <laughs> and then that will extrapolate out to generic racism to any others than american and that's just the reality of it and you know we we all have our internal biases but you start wrapping patriotism and americanism up into those personal biases and it becomes a very religious experience for some people you know america becomes your savior and they do some insane things under her name.
and they have, and they will continue to. Patriot Act. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I've I've sort of brushed on some of these topics um, before in different tangential ways, whether it's if you're on the terrorist watch list, then you shouldn't have the right to bear uh, to own firearms. But then, you know, to your point and to a point of I think it was Zachary who mentioned it in that particular show, you know, not all. Uh, not everyone on the terrorist watch list is a terrorist, but there is a filtering process that happens. So if you're on a no-fly list and you shouldn't be, well, then there's a process of going through that and having the truth be uh, discovered and you getting you know back on uh, flights. Same thing with terrorist watch lists and stuff like that. And yes, that is just the natural process of society implementing new guidelines and new restrictions and uh, keeping an eye in order for whatever this means to you, the greater good of that society. There are going to be casualties in that pursuit. And we see them, and they are unjust, and they are horrible for those who have to suffer them. But that's just the, the reaction of a government trying its best to wrap its arms around a real problem. And what we typically seem to do is either demonize government as if it's some evil entity trying to take away your personal liberties, or we champion the government as if it's the you know your nanny that's supposed to be taking care of everything and they have the best of intentions at all times. And the truth is, somewhere in between there, the government is not this amorphous entity. It's made up of individuals who come and go. And they are, if you've ever met an adult human before, you know that typically they're stupid, typically they have no common sense, and typically they're just kind of fucking worthless. Just bags of skin. That's most human adults. Well, that's what everything is made up of. That's what every institution and organization and government entity is made up of. Kind of worthless bags of skin. That, so we we like to ascribe these like grand designs to this you know, faceless entity. It's not really like that. It's just people trying to do their job the best way they can and then failing sometimes. And then other people come in and try to clean up the mess and sometimes make it worse. Like, that's just it. I've never understood this whole Illuminati global conspiracy shit. People who believe that have clearly never met another human adult because there's no way that the government could pull off anything of such precision and skill that they as, like uh, ascribe to them, it's crazy. Uh, it's knee-jerk reactionary thinking. The government is a mirror of the people, and the people are stupid. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> oh man, which is why we should limit their power. Stupid, what? <laughs> way too much power. You're right. You're absolutely right. But the, the, I mean, ultimately, the problem comes down to. Um, Local, state, and federal governments, you know, they're meant to work in tandem, but at times they butt heads. And so you try to limit one, and the other gets more power. And whichever way that falls, it means you have less. (laughs) As an individual. One will always have more power in any given uh, case over the other. Typically, of course, it's going to be federal if there's laws in the books uh, for any given situation. But sometimes states have more authority over different aspects of your life than the federal government does. And just as a blanket statement saying that, well, we need to have less government influence. I know it's a very libertarian perspective, but it also means that 
if you just have a bad series of days, you could end up at the very bottom of a societal heap. And that's just life. Sometimes you got bad days and sometimes it's nice to have uh, systems of government there to help you during those bad times. And so I do believe that there has to be some government and there has to be government uh, or, um, systems in place to assist the citizenry of that uh, state. But um, yeah, they, they definitely seize more power and they never give it up. And that ultimately becomes the problem. We really spun off on a different topic. Uh, let me talk about this wonderful book that Dog sent me. switch out this image first and foremost I've got to I really appreciate the the form that this book takes um, so it's called the devil's mischief in which his own story is told in words and pictures and it's by Ed Marcon um, but as you can see as I'm opening this it's short snippets of historical reference of the devil and it's told through author oh shit i just hit the mic um authors uh, opinions and writings so you've got a little bit of mark twain you got some edgar Allan poe that i'm going to read here in just a second but you get um just tons of imagery that is just really fantastic of interpretations of the devil throughout the ages uh in art and writing and if you're a fan of the devil and if you're watching this why aren't you of course you are then uh, this book is really, really fascinating. It was not even on my radar at all. I, I had um, presented another book called The Devil, which is I had always referenced as like my favorite devil book. But this, I think, has usurped its position in my heart, <laughs> in my little black heart, because this is magnificent. Um, okay, so the author describes it as this. I present here a diabolically fascinating compilation of devil lore and literature, which I have illustrated with images both spooky and seductive and amazingly human. I have inspired many of the greatest, uh, the devil is saying, I have inspired many of the great artists, including William Blake, Gustav Doré, Ducio, Gaudi, and, um, Giotti and Michelangelo, my sway over folk and popular artists continues to this day. I'm also captured here with startling vitality and in inventive vignettes by authors including Charles Baudelaire, Ambrose Bierce, uh, Mikhail Bulgakov, <laughs> Anatole France, John Milton, Vladimir, and more and more and more, including Edgar Allan Poe and Mark Twain. So this entire book is presented as if the devil put it together. And it's just his own narrative. Very, very interesting. So, I'm very stoked that you uh, decided to send this. It was such a wonderful uh, surprise. I need to get my reading glasses. I want to read one description of the devil, which is different than others that I've uh, heard in the past. And I didn't know that this is actually from uh, The Devil in the Belfry by Edgar Allan Poe. 
and I was not, I, I, I don't know that I've read that. I'm not convinced that I have. So anyway, his countenance was of a dark snuff color, and he had a long hooked nose, pea eyes, a wide mouth, and an excellent set of teeth, which latter he seemed anxious of displaying as he was grinning from ear to ear. What with mustachios and whiskers, there was none of the rest of his face to be seen. His head was uncovered, and his hair neatly done up in papillots. His dress was a tight-fitting, swallow-tailed black coat. From one of those pockets dangled a vast length of white handkerchief. Black cursemere knee breeches, black stockings, and stumpy-looking pumps with huge bunches of black satin ribbon for bows. Under one arm he carried a huge chapeau de brasse, and under the other a fiddle, nearly five times as big as himself. In his left hand was a gold snuff box, from which, as he capered down the hill, cutting all manner of fantastic steps, he took snuff incessantly with an air of the greatest possible self-satisfaction. That is such a great image of the devil. I imagine this wonderfully flamboyantly dressed, sinister countenance just sort of prancing down the hill as he's taking a little snuff out of his box. <laughs> um, this, this is brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really do appreciate it. And I highly recommend you guys check it out. There's going to be a link in here. Um, you can find them. I think they're around, you know, it's like under $10 or something, which I think it should be much, much more. It is hardcover. It's got a little um, ribbon that's sewn in to the end here so you can sort of, you know, make notes and take place. I'm going to be enjoying this uh, this coming week as I sort of devour it slowly over time. I hope you guys get an opportunity to check it out for yourselves if you haven't yet. And that's it. We are a little short. That's it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I appreciate your time. And, and I know it's earlier and stuff, but I want to go barbecue. That's where <laughs> my head right now. We've got some steaks in the fridge. And I, I just I want to get the barbecue going. And I want to enjoy the sun. And uh, probably a drink. <laughs> Poe doesn't get enough credit for his descriptive ability. Holy shit, you're right, Jeff. And let, let's be fair. It's not like Edgar Allan Poe is not widely seen as one of the best American writers or one of the best horror authors, um, poets, and storytellers. He is definitely lauded at the top of his game. However, we got to give him a little bit more credit. I, I've read some of the stories, I think it was last year around Halloween of his, and my shitty performances of the readings aside, his work is truly spectacular. Like, you've got it. I've got this massive book, a complete collection of Poe, and it's just like this monstrous encyclopedia size collection of writings. It's great. You gotta know Poe. If you don't know Poe, look Poe up. <laughs> Poe's your friend. Um, we're not short, we're fun sized. <laughs> That's right. That's what I tell my wife. <laughs> it's fun size, baby. It's okay. 
All right. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, check out churchofsatan.com and read the Satanic Bible. Of course, you can always subscribe to this YouTube channel, sign up to my email list, and like and share this video if you want others to discover this, I don't know, presentation of Satanism, I suppose I would refer to it as. Uh, all of my Satanic series can be found on my website, reverendcampbell.com. Have a fantastic week, and until next time, hail Satan.